Here in Romans chapter 4, we will be looking today in verses 13 through 25. Before we do so, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Gracious Father, thank you for your word, and we just ask your help. I ask for help as a preacher that you would guard my mouth from saying anything that would be contrary to the truth of your scriptures. But Lord, I pray that you'd also free my mouth and my lips and my tongue to speak that which is needful, that which is truthful, and that which is edifying to the body and reaching out to those who are lost. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us as listeners, that our ears would be able to hear clearly the word of God. And Lord, that you would give us hearts to believe you would give us eyes to understand and help us, Lord, to be obedient to that which we hear today. And we ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Earlier in Romans chapter 1, Paul says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, in the course of review and progression through the book of Romans, we may have lost track of that verse in the course of our study, paying close attention to the wrath of God and how the law is not designed to save us from it. However, the righteous shall live by faith is not only a major theme of this letter, but the entire scriptures, that the righteous, the just, shall live by faith. We live in a world of people of faith. They're all around us. Even those of us who have gathered here today would consider ourselves people of faith. And perhaps many of us would find our confidence in faith as it relates to a prayer that we once prayed or a decision that was made somewhere, whether it be church or at the bedside with our parents or maybe at youth camp and that's where our confidence would lie within our faith. That's where we would attach it to, to some particular point in time. And there's nothing in and of itself wrong with that. There is a time for each of us who come to Christ where our faith begins. If I was to ask you today, if you were a follower of Christ, would your response be that you made a decision to place your faith in someone or something? Or would your response be, I'm living by faith? That is, I'm a believer. You may be wondering, is there a difference? I believe that there can be a difference. Not necessarily that there is one. But if you're simply placing your faith in a decision that you made in some point or time, and that's it, and you are no longer or consistently living by faith, then I would say that you are here this morning as an unbeliever. Deceived. Persuaded by things that aren't true. But if you can think of a time when you did place your faith in a person, and you are continuing to live by faith, then I think that I'll, you don't need me to give you any assurance, for you have the confidence that the Holy Spirit gives you within by simply living by faith. Now again, I'm not trying to disregard anyone's decision. You may have a card stuck in your Bible. You may have someone's autograph in your Bible that someone prayed with you at some particular time. Again, that is not the point, but if that's the only point, 
then I trust that the message today will encourage you to see that there's something much broader, something much more important to that. That we would, whether we are doing so right now, that we will leave this place earnestly wanting to live by faith. Not just simply being a person of faith or having made a statement of faith, but actually living by faith. That we are a believer. For we have to understand that that word faith is just a noun or a subject form of the verb believe. The same root word. So when we think of that, when we think of faith, if we live by faith, we're simply a believer. If we're a believer, that means we're placing our faith in something or we're living according to something that we believe. Now, back in Romans, for the most part, Paul has been dealing with the wrath of God and our rightful place underneath it. He's spoken about the law that has been regarded as an instrument used to reveal our sin rather than to provide a remedy for it. He's pointed out that the remedy, our redemption, from chapter 3, is through Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation or a means of satisfying a holy, righteous God by his blood to be received by faith. So there is a particular point in time when it needs to be received. It needs to be applied to our life. So we would expect this to be a great place for Paul to instruct us to make a decision. To be like Abraham who was called to leave his father's land and his people. To place our faith in Christ or to make a profession of faith. But that's not what Paul specifically does here. Now Paul, at this point, as Richard was introducing us last week from chapter 4 verse 1 and following... Like Abraham, he speaks about a man who lived by faith. Who lived by faith. He lived by faith in a promise. A promise that doesn't come from living up to the law, but living by faith in a promise that rests on grace. And he speaks of us who also walk in the footsteps of faith, of that our father Abraham, as we see in verse 12 of chapter 4. And so that's what we want to talk about and focus our attention on this morning, is thinking about Abraham, who is our father of the faith. He's not the author of our faith, as we find in Hebrews chapter 12. That's Jesus Christ. He's the one who gives us our faith. He's the one whom, whom we place our faith in. But Abraham is the father of our faith. His example that we walk after as we trust in God. So let's begin our study today as we read there in verse 13 of chapter 4. Paul says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For, it is of, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null. The promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there's no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only the adherent of the law, also, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he, Abraham, believed... 
who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. We've learned that true faith is that which leads to righteousness. Our righteousness is based on our faith. But our faith can't just simply be whimsical. It can't just be hoping for something that's better than what we can imagine. It has to be solidly built upon the work of Jesus Christ. We've been singing about that all morning. We've been reminding about this righteousness that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ and we place our faith in it, not because we just simply believe it happened, but our faith and our dependence in that it actually makes a difference in our life when applied to us, when we repent of our sins, when we place our faith in what Christ did, his perfect sinless life, his obedient death on the cross, in the power that raised him from the dead, when we place our faith in that as a substitute for our inability to do anything, that's salvation. That's when we become a believer, a true believer, and that is when we become righteous in the sight of God. Now, there's a few th elements of, about faith that I'd like for us to see here in this passage. And as you'll notice, not only today, but from last week, you'll see that what Richard was preaching on last week will sort of bleed into the message today and then hopefully by the time this message is over somewhere around 1 o'clock something like that uh, it will bleed into what you will notice that brother Tim will be preaching about from Romans chapter 5 and that's really the intent right we want everything to sort of tie together we don't want this to be 500 different sermons from the book of Romans and hopefully they'll have something in common. We want it to sort of flow. So when we think and remind ourselves of what Richard was preaching about last week in the example of Abraham, we want that to flow through all the way to the benefits of having faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm sort of the white filling in the Oreo cookie, so to speak. The sweetness that comes from being a descendant, spiritually speaking, of Abraham because I don't belong. I don't belong. I don't have anything to hold on to, but faith is offered to me, and there's some things about that faith that I hope that we can appreciate as we, again, walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham. First thing is that faith means is the means of receiving the promise. As I was growing up and as I was thinking through the preparation of this message, I was trying my best to think of a time when in the home that I grew up in that my parents ever made me a promise. Now to some of you that might seem kind of strange, but I can't think of a time where my dad said, you know what, son, I promise I'm going to do this. I, I can't remember a time when my mother said, now Mark, I just want to let you know, I promise this is going to happen. I, I can't remember that. And then maybe I'm strange because of that. Uh, but you know, at the same time, I look back and think I didn't need one. My parent, God has graciously given me, has been so kind to me, to give me parents that were faithful to provide for my needs and to love me and to support me, but I can't think of a time where they really need to make, make a promise. Now, that's because I belong to them and I'm the youngest one and I didn't make any mistakes and so they didn't need to promise me anything because I was just a great kid. Right? Now some of you are shaking your heads because you're the baby of the family too. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Now those of you who are the oldest, or particularly the middle ones, you're the ones who are messed up. They had to promise you everything just to convince you to keep going along with the plan. Especially when that second child came along and the third child came along. But anyway, I digress. Anyway, but when it comes to receiving the promise of God, there's absolutely no way I can just simply presume that God's going to give me anything. 
Now, in my sinful nature, I draw that conclusion because I think, well, why not? I haven't made a mistake today, so therefore traffic should be really clear for me to drive through. I haven't said anything off color today, so therefore all the people that work for me should just simply do what I tell them to do. Well, you know what, because I really, I've read my Bible today and I prayed, surely I'm not going to have any car trouble today. So there's all different types of ways where I feel like God should promise me something but, or give me something, but he hasn't promised any of those things. However, the promise that I have of eternal life, the promise that I have of being forgiven of my sin, that is something I can't presume upon God. I can't assume it. It has to be given to me by faith. It's something that God promised me because I can't figure out any other way that I will ever receive it. I can't work hard enough for it. I can't do enough good things. I can't abstain from evil long enough to somehow deserve one ounce of eternity, much less with God. But faith makes that promise available. As it is assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen, borrowing from the author of Hebrews chapter 11, we understand that the promise is something unseen. We understand that the promise that God gives is something that is unfulfilled to some degree. It's something that we long for. It's a promise that's given. Just by nature, a promise is something that says, I promise that I will do this. I promise that that will happen. It's something that the, that the means of receiving that is faith. I, I have to believe it. I have to commit myself to that. But not only is faith the means of receiving a promise, but faith is useless if being a Jew makes one an heir of the promise. That's what Paul is specifically speaking about here. And he uses the term an adherent of the law. Now we, have, we know simply from the first three chapters of Romans that Paul isn't speaking about a group of people who are actually completely obeying the law. But he's talking about a group of people, the Jewish people, God's chosen people, the biological descendants of Abraham who were given the law. And so when he speaks about the adherence of the law, that's who he's speaking about. But he says very clearly in verse 14, for if the adherence of the law are the ones who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Faith is useless. I'm so. I don't have that privilege of being a descendant of Abraham. And I certainly don't have the ability to fulfill the law. But if that was the means by which the promise was going to be given, then there wouldn't be a need for a promise. There would be no reason for faith. So faith is useless if by simply being a Jew or someone who is adherent to the law makes one an heir. But it's not. Faith is a means of receiving the promise. Faith is useless if being a Jew makes one an heir. But also faith ensures that the promise rests on grace for all the offspring. Whether you're an adherent to the law, whether you're Jewish and uh, you cherish the Mosaic law, you cherish the ceremonial law, you've lived your life in adhering to the law, whether you're a Jewish person or whether you're somebody who's just simply following after the example of faith of Abraham. 
Faith ensures that the promise rests not on any of us, not on anything that we own, not on anything that we can do, but it rests on grace. And if you allow me to sort of use some language from a very familiar passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 2, I would put it this way, For by grace are we saved through faith, not adhering to the law, lest our faith in promise be worthless. So we're very familiar, and we should be, for by grace are we saved through faith. Not of works. Lest any of us should be able to boast, but it's a work. God gives us faith. It's a gift of grace. Our, the promise that God makes that we receive, it rests wholly and satisfactorily on God's grace. And then the last thing here, the faith of Abraham is shared by all his offspring through Christ. Again, we could spend another two or three sermons of just how what we have read today from our worship God responsively relates to that point. But we won't. Or we would be here till 2 or 3.30, 4, maybe sometime later this evening, break for lunch, supper, that sort of thing. And so I hope that this will be one of those weeks where, as Pastor Charlie often talks about, taking your prayer God, or your worship God through the week, reminding yourselves of the songs that we were singing, considering the passages of Scripture that we were reading. This is so rich, and we can't afford to miss the fact that the servant of God, who was bruised, and, 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 and the Father was pleased to bruise him because he knew that was the only means by which we would find salvation. That it is also through him. Just take a look for just a moment. There in Isaiah chapter 53. It's right there on the panel of your worship guide that we read together. And it's that third paragraph that under the leader. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death. And was numbered with the transgressors. Which by the way is us. Yet he bore the sins of many. And makes intercession for the transgressors. He's taking all that Christ is given by God. And because we are in Christ by faith. We become the recipients of all that the Father will give to the Son. We become joint heirs with Christ. We are inheritors of all the spiritual blessings. That's what makes Ephesians chapter 1 so fascinating. When you read what we have in Jesus Christ, it's through faith and, extended, and it is extended to each of us who believe. Not the ones who just simply adhere to the law. Not to the ones who simply try to make it on their own, but to the ones who find that the grace of God has brought them into the family according to faith. And not the simple faith that just, I hope things are going to work out, but the faith that Jesus Christ has accomplished all that was required to satisfy the holy, just wrath of God. And that's the object of Abraham's faith. Did Abraham know all the details? That's one of the things, just in short, brief moment, after last week's message from Richard, I was like, you know, that's, that's the one thing that just puzzles me when I look at this passage of Scripture. Why does it just kind of make it real clear connection that Abraham knew something special about there's going to be a person of Jesus Christ so that we all have the same sort of sentence that we can all put our faith in? And you know what the foolish thing is, in my mind is? We do. 
is to believe and place our faith in the one who has made us a promise. And Abraham lived by that faith. Did you know all the details? Absolutely not. We don't even know all the details and we're looking hindsight. 2020, right? But all we know is there's been a God who's given us a promise. And the righteous ones, the just ones, the ones who will find a righteous standing before a holy, righteous God one day will be the ones who live by faith. That's point one. That's almost the introduction, but at least point one. But we're moving on. Not only do we have the object of the faith, God's promise, but we have a resolve of Abraham's faith exemplified here, and that results in God's glory. Look in verse 17, there at the end. In the presence of the God in whom he, that is Abraham, believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope he believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations. As he has been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. They may say, well, Abraham lived in a different day. He didn't have all the distractions of life that we have. Uh, he didn't have, I mean, I mean he, he had to be a healthy man. He lived to be, you know, 175 years old. I mean, how, how, how bad could his life have been? I mean, surely that, that would make it, are we, hopefully we seriously don't ask those questions. For all we need to do is turn back to Genesis chapter 12 and read through the rest of the book to find out just how difficult his life was and the obstacles to his faith that he encountered. Of all the things that he did encounter, there was nothing that was greater than his impotence. The fact that he was an old man that his wife was not only old, but she was barren. But he had other things. The fact that he, he, was, he was given a promise in something that at the time didn't exist. Now, if it's one thing, if you've got a briefcase full of $100 bills and you say, Mark, I promise that at the end of the day, I'm going to give this to you. <laughs> and I see that. I've can see you, and I really don't believe you're going to do that, but if you were to promise me that that's what you were going to do, and I had full confidence in you because I see what it is that you're going to give me, that would be one thing, but for you to say, you know what, Mark, I just want you to believe that in the trunk of my car, you can't see it, and it's not even the trunk of my car that I drove to church, it's the trunk of my car that I haven't even bought yet. But, but in that trunk, there's going to be a million dollars, and as soon as I buy that car, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm like, okay, for number one, I don't trust you that much. And then number two, even if I did, that's a really far-stretched story, and I can't see what you're talking about. So for me to place my faith in that promise, give me a break. As much as I would want to believe it, I can't see it. This is what God was asking Abraham to believe. I'm going to promise you something that you can't see. He's also making him a promise that would 
cause anyone to not believe. Because he was pulling him out of a belief system. His, his, his father had many gods. Surely he could find some of those that could satisfy his, his curiosity. Some that he could follow after. And he could pick and choose. And maybe he would worship the right one. And it would rain that day when they needed it. Or maybe the one day he would pray to this one. And, and maybe his crops would grow. And maybe this god over here. And so he had, it wasn't as he didn't have some system of belief. But God was calling him out of that. And then as I mentioned before. The fact that he was just... As he considered himself, he was as good as dead. Now there's some translations that actually make that a little bit more clear in the fact that he was dead. Not as good as dead, but he was dead. When you, when you thought about the fact that him being able to bear, you know, have, a, you know, have his wife bear a son, that's not just simply believing in something you can't see, but that's causing yourself to believe in something in spite of what you can see. And we struggle with both of those types of, of obstacles when it comes to our faith, right? Sometimes it's the fact that I, I, I can't, I ha, I'm tr having trouble with faith because I just can't see it. I can't touch it. And then sometimes we have trouble with faith in the promise because of the things that we can see and we know that there's no way it's going to happen because of what I see. The circumstantial evidence, right? However, the Bible makes it really clear. Paul uses three different ideas here. First of all, in verses 17 and 18, he makes it really clear that he believed. He uses this word over 20 times in the book of Romans. This idea of committing to something or trusting something. He believed it. He couldn't see it. And in spite of the things that he did see, he believed. But he also had hope. Verse 18 says... In hope, he believed against hope. You say, well, that's kind of confusing. We have to understand that the first hope is what he believed because of what Christ promised him against that hope that he had if he simply left himself to his own devices and in his own wisdom. So against that hope, he believed in hope. And in verse 21, it says that he was fully convinced. It's a compound word that talks about carrying it out to the end. Being completely assured that this is going to happen. That was his faith. Now there's two things that made this possible for him to believe and have hope against hope and be fully convinced. First of all, he had the word of promise. In verse 18... In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. God told him, so shall your offspring be. He had a word. Now unfortunately, many of the people of faith in the world in which we live today are placing their faith in someone else's word. And we have this movement of word of faith people run from those people but when you have people that say hey God has promised you something in his word that is something that you can be fully convinced of that is something that you can hope in against hope that is something that you can truly commit yourself and believe in that's all you need it's sufficient it's satisfying and Abraham had a word of promise that he believed and had hope against hope and was convinced of. But also, he had the work of power. 
It says that he did not weaken his faith, in verse 19, when he considered his own body, which was dead, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that he was able to do what he had promised. Now what was it that provided him that hope? Well, you have to go back up in the passage that we've read earlier. In verse 20, I'm sorry, beginning verse 19, he did, I guess it's right here in a second. In verse 17, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. What is it that God had done? What is it that God manifested his power in that gave Abraham so much faith? Well, he looked around the world in which he lived and realized that as Moses recorded in the book of Genesis chapter 1, that all this stuff came from nothing. I think that's one reason why Paul makes a point of it in Romans chapter 1, because the, the whole work of creation is not only something that the unbeliever tries to suppress with his unrighteousness, but it is that which the believer is able to anchor their faith in, knowing that if God can create all that we have out of nothing, who is it, or what is it for him to be able to take that which is dead and to make life? Right? Whenever we get to the point where we think that, you know, this is going to be too much for God. I don't even want to even pray about this because, you know, it's going to be too much. God can't handle this or maybe, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just too much. Remember, that the God that we serve out of nothing created everything and continues to sustain everything by just simply holding it together. So Abraham not only had the word of promise by this God, but he also had the example of this God who has made everything. This is a powerful God that can take even... An, it says here that he did not weaken in his faith when he considered the fact that he couldn't do it. And I think it's safe to conclude that that is the very conclusion God wants us all to come to regardless of of what it has to do with. That we can't do anything. Oh, but Mark, you just don't understand. I made great grades in school and I, I, I was on the honor society and I, and I was able to do all these projects and you, if you just saw me at work, I'm just a whippersnapper there. I'm, I'm just doing all kinds of stuff that's just great and uh, I'm just so profitable to the business or I, I do so many things in community and you just don't know how great I'm parenting my kids and, and, and how I'm helping my neighbors out and, and how I'm just a wonderful person. You just don't understand how much I do. Apparently you don't either. Because apart from God, we can't do anything. And particularly as believers, we certainly can't accomplish anything on his behalf, winning people or reaching out to people who are lost, building up other believers, encouraging one another. We can't do anything of that apart from Christ. And whatever we think that we're doing is just simply borrowed talent, borrowed energy, borrowed wisdom. It's all from God. And when we get to come to that conclusion, as Abraham did, then we can begin living by faith. And you may be wondering, well, man, this guy Abraham sounds like he might be a pretty good fellow because after all, if he had all those obstacles that he 
couldn't, uh, he could see and all the things that he couldn't see and he still had that kind of faith? Man, he must be perfect. I can't relate to that. Well, again, all we need to go back to Genesis chapter 17 and, and all around that to find out that Abraham wasn't perfect. And we have to remember that in Abraham's flesh, in him trying to accomplish the promise of God through another woman, that didn't work out so well. Still not working out so well. So we see that Abraham wasn't perfect, but he's our example of faith. And when we come to those times, we have to hold on to Christ, the sure and steady anchor, which was another song that we were going to sing today, but we just didn't have enough time. But go back and look that one up because that will certainly anchor your soul when you go through times in which you are falling, when you can't, you realize that you're not making it, that Christ is our steady anchor. He's the anchor of our soul. So we see that Abraham had resolve. Resolve, that, as it was put in verse 20, he grew in his strong in his faith as he, what? Gave glory to God. last point the emulation of Abraham's faith is what leads to our justification because this would be a cool story but a sad story if it ended with Abraham that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness great, wonderful Abraham's a righteous man glad it worked out for him This is where the gospel is so good. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. It wasn't just for Abraham. It wasn't just for Abraham and Isaac. It wasn't just for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It wasn't just for the twelve sons of Israel. It wasn't for just for David. It wasn't just for... Well, I had a hard time trying to find some good sons of his that, that would actually apply to. But it wasn't just for the Jewish people. Paul goes on to say what? But for ours also. You don't have to stand before a holy righteous judge one day and wish you were Abraham. Man, if I was only like Abraham, I could stand before a holy, righteous judge, perfect and complete. If I was only like Abraham and it was given faith and it was pronounced righteous because of my faith, like Abraham, boy, I could face this God who is condemning the world to hell because of its sin. We can face eternity just like Abraham. Why? It will be counted to us who believe in Him who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Just as Abraham lived by faith and was righteous, we live by faith and are righteous. Abraham's faith was in a promise from God. Our faith is in a promise from God. Abraham's resolve was because he was giving glory to God all the way through, persevering to the end. Our 
resolve is going to carry us all the way to the end as we glorify God in all that he's doing. As we emulate the faith of Abraham. That is where we obtain justification. Now it may have started with a decision down front in a church. It may have started at the bedside with a parent praying with you. It may have started while you were a college student or somewhere in a hotel room reading through a Gideon Bible. It may have started there. But if it's true faith that leads to righteousness, it will be faith that is lived. We will be people who are living by faith. So are you confident this morning in a decision or a prayer or an experience? Are we confident in our living by faith? Is our faith in the blood of a perfect Savior that satisfies the demands of a holy, righteous God when we become impressed with our morality? Is our faith in the law, the testimony, the precepts, and the commandments of the Lord to provide reward and protection when we're tempted to trust our own wisdom or that of the world? Is our faith in the sovereignty of God to provide peace and security when we seek vengeance and control is our faith that one day I will see the one who saved me who will show how all things worked together for my good when I'm disgusted discouraged and disappointed with this life are we walking in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham I'm here to tell you this morning that the word of God and the work of God is sufficient to be an anchor for our hope as we earnestly wait for His return. I'd ask you this morning if you'd stand with your heads bowed. I'm going to ask Heather and Courtney if they would come and assist with singing one more song. It's a new one. And I don't have much issue with singing a new one because this morning if there's one song that we'll sing that I would rather you pay more attention to the words to this is that one hopefully you'll pick it up and you'll be able to sing along with us as we sing but before we do that I would like for you just to in the quietness of the moment to think about how your walk is are you walking by faith today? I would conclude that if you're walking by faith, that your confidence in Christ is pretty high today. That the problems of this world seem so small and very dim in comparison to the glory of God. I would conclude that if you're walking by faith today, that the sin that you see continuing to weigh you down and distract you as serious as it is is only for a moment and there's coming a day in which you will truly be liberated from the presence of that very thing that Christ has saved us from but if not perhaps there's a lack of confidence because maybe the only thing that you've got to hold on to is you prayed a prayer some years ago 
But because there was an experience, you remember getting excited about something and everyone else was too and you felt like that was a change in your life where you turned over a new leaf, but there really wasn't faith that you were holding on to. There was not a promise that you were committed to. There was not a God that you were going to serve with your life. And perhaps you've come to a point of decision today that you need to deal with by faith.